In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up? Welcome to Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, and today is another interview show. We are talking to the one and only Roberto Blake, YouTuber extraordinaire, keynote speaker, author, and uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're going to hear today. We're diving all into the creator economy and into YouTube and how to produce content in general. All his best tips here today. If you don't know Roberto Blake, he's been listed in Forbes' 20 must-watch YouTube channels that will change your business. He's a creative entrepreneur. Uh, I mentioned keynote speaker and a podcaster while hosting a YouTube channel that has over 500,000 subscribers and 35 million views. He's considered one of today's leading experts on the creator economy and is the founder of Awesome Creator Academy, which coaches other creators to help them build a full-time income. He's published over 1,500 videos on his main YouTube channel and has helped thousands of content creators go full-time. He has also participated in over 2,000 live streams in the last eight years across multiple platforms and responds to hundreds of questions each week publicly on Twitter from content creators and online business owners. Before content creation, Roberto enjoyed a career in graphic design and advertising, and those skills have helped him build a powerful personal brand across his content platforms. In his spare time, he's passionate about wildlife photography and travel, and you'll hear a little bit about us talking about anime today on the show as well. He's got a great analogy that just really encapsulates what the potential of the creator economy is. He also just released a book. If you guys haven't checked it out, it's called Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion in the Creator Economy. He dropped that in August of this year, 2022. I definitely recommend you checking it out. Uh, Anytime you want to look at what he's got going on or learn from him, you can go to awesomecreatoracademy.com. Or if you want to hear him speak or find out what he's doing in that realm, just go to his personal brand website, which is robertoblake.com. Otherwise, check out the show. We are diving into all that and then some what matters on YouTube, what matters for video content creators, how to get started in the game, the mindset, the skills, especially the skills that you'll be developing over time to make this thing work as a creator. I love this episode. I can't emphasize that enough. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, let's start the show. All right, let's get into it. First and foremost, I am excited to welcome our guest to the show, Roberto Blake. First and foremost, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The reason I'm excited is we get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is video content. More importantly, the creator economy, which I know you have your own philosophy on, but I think it's so important. I'm excited. There's more creators coming into the space, but let's start with a little bit about why video and the creator economy is so important right now. What, is, what into you is the creator economy? Why is this important right now? So from my perspective, and I write about this in, uh, in my book, uh, the creator economy, I think, is the perfect intersectionality 
of uh, creativity, creative services. You don't have to be a starving artist anymore because you have technology to help scale that and allow you to have a uh, reach. And then you have the business aspect transformed by online monetization platforms and e-commerce in order to help you properly monetize. So now as a starving artist, you have the ability to scale, you have reach that you've never had before, but more importantly, you have the ability to monetize uh, that reach. So these platforms and video allows you to scale the four domains that I like to talk about when people are building their personal brand is the ability to uh, enhance the reach of your body of work so more people know about it, build your reputation on that body of work and your results because you're putting them out there, and then be able to build the appropriate relationships and network as a, a result of that body of work, that reach and that reputation. But most importantly, at the end, being able to properly harness and monetize that to generate revenue. So the four R's, reach, reputation, relationships, and revenue. Yeah, man, I, I love that. And I think right, that's a good foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. If we had to take it back, because I think a lot of people are getting into this. There's a lot that are already in it. They, they, I think, have already acquired a lot of the skills, but that's what I want to talk about. What are some of the skills that we should be acquiring? Because I don't think everyone could just turn on a camera and go. I think you've got to work oh, at no. this. Oh, you absolutely have to work at it. I was a wreck on camera. If anyone goes back and watches my earliest videos on YouTube from like you know, 2009, when I was just playing around with it with a Sony HD Web. In fact, my first video was about the camera I was filming with Sony HD Webby back in the day, one of the first uh, flip cameras. Back in my day, everything was worse. <laughs> you know, back in my day, the websites and the internet were trash. Back in my day, everything was harder for us. You know, like uh, old man internet over here. So what I would say is, even just doing that, being comfortable with uh, comedic timing and being able to, you know, go into a back and die, my day spill into a caricature of yourself, the level of comfort to do that publicly or on camera outside of your friends and family is extremely difficult for the majority of people. And I'm a more introverted person. So a lot of people are surprised by that. But if you watch my earliest content, you'll realize how hard I had to work to just not be stiff and awkward and low energy on camera. And how draining being on camera actually is at the start. It's being more normalized today. People are on their smartphones. They're on Zoom calls all the time. But pre-pandemic, you could you could see, and a lot of people experience this if they were not used to doing live calls in front of a group or anything like that. There's an extreme level of awkwardness to overcome in talking to a lens like it's a person. And when you do camera stuff instead of live conferencing video, there's not a stand-in of another person there. You have to do it with your imagination. And that's very difficult for most people to overcome. So I would say on-camera presence and presentation is like a much higher level skill set than people realize. It's up there with public speaking on stage. And the two are radically different. Doing it with live stream video today, if you're doing a live podcast, that's extremely difficult too, because you have to also manage the tat. So since you have to manage the chat, you have to be able to uh, coordinate, be multifaceted, still pay attention, still be aware, have basically the ability to perform while having peripheral attention, which is an extremely difficult thing for most people to do. Perform while also being situationally aware in your periphery is not something that you one just does, you know, one does not just simply live stream, you know, so the, um, to use the meme, but you have to do that. You have to be able to video edit if you want to do video on a polished platform like YouTube, the mobile vertical video platforms, sure, less editing intensive, less production intensive, but you have to be a presenter on camera. You have to be a researcher. You have to be a writer, a copywriter. You have to write headlines, outlines, scripts, calls to action. 
You have to be a video producer. You have to be a video editor. You have to be a social media marketer and be able to optimize these things for discovery. You also have to be able to do business development if you want to monetize it properly and not rely on the platforms forever and be beholden. And so there's a lot of these things that you have to be capable of doing. And largely, you also have to be your own tech support. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think any one of those things, uh, those many things, could be really intimidating to someone getting started. I know you have videos to help people with that kind of stuff, but I'd actually like to look behind the curtain into your journey because reading through some of it uh, was inspiring to me, too, because I think what people don't see is some of the work you have to do while you're practicing to actually build one of these creator type businesses. Like I know you did some freelance writing to just pay some of the bills as a side hustle. And then yep. also you like learn graphic design and learn some of these uh, other skills, photography, et cetera. I would love to actually hear if you had to like talk a little bit about some of the skills you started to work on kind of one at a time. I'm curious, just maybe at the beginning, like how that worked for you. Cause I know for me, I started at like, I tried blogging, I tried writing different things, but really like podcasting became one of the very early skills I worked on. And then I expanded into other things like course creation or whatever. I'd love mm -hmm. to hear some of those, that kind of step-by-step -step skill acquisition and how you use them, maybe the first five things or something like that. I think that I have an unfair advantage in the fact that I started young and broke. People would not <laughs> think of that as an unfair advantage, but it actually is because when you're young and broke, you have an abundance of time. And that's the interesting thing. You also have an abundance of motivation. So I'm 38 now. And when I started, I would argue, I think I was about 13. I taught myself to code in a summer. And why that's important is because during summer vacation, I was home watching my younger siblings while my mom was at work. She was a, a full-time nurse and then a, a administrator at the hospital. We lived on military base. And um, so I'm sitting there and, well, we got the great gift from my grandmother uh, before she, you know, she passed away a couple of years ago. But I always remember this. And I always tell this story is that, well, my grandmother, who was a nurse in uh, New York, she was a CNA nurse. She put on her credit cards, QVC was the thing you did back in the day. And she put on her credit card and she went like into debt to get us a computer because she knew that this computer would give us an unfair advantage and level the play playing field with regard to any of our other circumstances in life that if I do nothing else, you will have this computer, you will have access to the internet, you will have access to all human knowledge, you will have access to software and skills, and you will be able to do things that a lot of other people like you won't be able to do. And it was really important that she did that because I learned and taught myself how to code because I became fascinated with websites. I saw all these websites. So I was like, how does someone make a website? So curious mind. And I was a kid who always read and I would always read and learn things. If I wanted to know something, I would figure it out. I would do experiments. I grew up watching, there was a program on Nickelodeon back in my day, back in my day, uh, called <laughs> Mr. Wizard. Mr. Wizard and Mr. Wizard, you know, would do science experiments and you'd ask yourself, well, how does that work? Or you'd learn how to make a potato light bulb. You would understand how electricity in the world around you actually works because Mr. Wizard would take the world around you, take the science, make it interesting for kids. And he would work with uh, kids on camera and show them what they could do and that the, the, the powers and fundamental forces in the universe are at their disposal if they keep a curious mind and they apply themselves. And so I internalized that, went into the world of the internet AOL 6.0, you know, <laughs> uh, whenever nobody's calling the house. And I taught myself how to code. So I would say the foundation of that skill gave me a framework for thinking about building things. I was already a kid who would write and draw and make my own stories and do things. But the internet was like, wait a minute, 
with the airmet, I can create things. And now people outside of arm's reach of me, who've never seen me before, would never know who I am, could find and see these things. And so I was making things on the internet. I was spinning up websites every week. I was spinning up websites on Angel Fire, Light Ghost, and Jitty every single week. Yeah. So I would be <laughs> spinning up these websites every week and I was learning along the way. And this introduced me to, oh, I can do digital art on the computer. So I learned graphic design. Eventually a teacher in school introduced me to Photoshop and uh, to video editing at, um, I think, uh, 14, 15. I learned those skills. The YouTube doesn't even exist at this point. YouTube, I graduated high school in 2002. YouTube wouldn't exist until 2005, wouldn't become popular and a household name until maybe uh, 2000. 13, 2014, YouTube starts to become a household name and not just a niche website for nerds like it really was. So I'm doing all these things. I also get into photography. Uh, everyone in my family is into photography. So I learned film photography. When I get to community college, I'm going for advertising and graphic design because I need a practical career profession. I can't be an animator like I might have dreamed of to work for Disney and Marvel. It's too expensive, too cost prohibitive. Uh, technology in my time is limited. My resources are limited, still broke. Can't do that. So I need a practical creative application in life. And I say, okay, I'll go into advertising, graphic design. I'll follow in the footsteps of like a uh, childhood hero of mine, Darren Stevens from Bewitch. I'll just go be an ad, an ad man. I'll just go work for McMahon and Tate, right? Like <laughs> So I'll just be an ad man. And so I, I go into that. I take all the creative electives, though, every elective that I like, and I'm a community college, it's affordable, I'm working full time. And I say all this to say that, like, I made extra money by helping people with tech support, because I understood computers, I've been taking apart repairing and fixing the computer, because again, broke and motivated, and upgrading it, I was selling Pokemon cards on like eBay in the early days and stuff like that. And then doing trades for like computer parts or getting the money and buying computer parts and upgrading the family computer. I went and I worked and volunteered um, with a guy locally who built um, computers and bicycles for underprivileged uh, people, Moses uh, Mathis in North Carolina, known as the bicycle man. He passed away um, a while back, but before that I was volunteering there. And the thing is I got to build and keep some computers uh, from all these parts that were donated because I was helping building computers for, you know, other underprivileged people and in the community. And so then I was able to build a home network in the dining room for my family and uh, get like everyone a computer. You know, but like it was, this is, so I was a nerd. I was a nerd. This yeah. is like me. This is what I'm doing as a kid. But like, I think, but like, let's pause for a second because like going into this, like, if you just look at like, just through the, just up to the educational part of your experience, not even out of it. Like we've already got like some of the skills, which you didn't even know how, like back then you're not like, how am I going to use these skills? Like you got coding, which was just coming up. And that wasn't really like, unless you were deep into it, it wasn't really like a job that you, yeah. unless you're an engineer at that point. You couldn't you get coding. a degree in it. Right. Yeah. Oh, I tried. It couldn't. Coding, you got websites uh, and building those. That wasn't a real job at the time, except unless you're a big agency, not for an independent. Uh, yep. Coding, website design, graphic design, right? But that that been around. But that's a, obviously like a core skill, ground like ground. And no level. one knew what it was. Like, it was like, <laughs> what does a graphic designer do? No, it was that's like not... by hand back then. If you were yeah. like, you were a an artist, letting and yep, mm, yeah, not on the computer, not computer graphic print design. shop, yeah, right. Yeah, I still. I mean, I worked at an ad agency right out of college, and they were still, you know, you know, using exacto knives and yeah, like exacto knives, letting rulers, t squares, mm -hmm. all. Yep. So coding, website design, or websites, graphic design. Video editing, which is interesting, early on, and then 
photography, film, and and sales obviously was, was yep. kind of that's a lot of skills to bring to the table when this job hadn't existed yet, but was like starting to be perfect for you. Uh, yeah, early, young, enthusiastic, curious, and broke. Yeah, <laughs> like this is the framework for ambition and success, in my opinion. This is like okay. You're curious about the world. You're hungry and ambitious. You have motivation. Necessity is the mother of all inventions. It's like, so being broke is a big motivator. And also being early and being an early adopter, it's not about being early and blowing up and being famous. Being early means that you have a fundamental understanding that other people will take for granted. And for that, I mean that by being early, I have an advantage before YouTube ever exists. If I'm doing video editing, graphic design, I'm learning about websites and SEO before YouTube exists. It means that when I early adopt, like, and again, I early adopted YouTube, but I was late to taking it seriously, honestly. But the thing is, still early enough to have a disproportionately unfair advantage. In fact, today, I think it's still earlier than people think because not every niche has been truly harnessed and dominated. People think that it's oversaturated, it's too late, but that's because they're doing obvious things. Like wanting to blow up and be a gamer and be famous while not even being the best at a video game in the world that is a popular video game already, of course you're going to fail. No one wants a budget discount version of the biggest gaming YouTuber. That's just ridiculous. But the thing is, if somebody decided to innovate in gaming, well, that could be different. You can innovate in a lot of different ways. You can innovate with things like storytelling, you can pick up a new game and become best at being an early adopter of that, or you can go and be the news guy or the news gal and the person who follows the game and its lore and its heroes and its uh, villains and even the heroes and villains in an esport at the early offset of that. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? Like people do. are not creative enough about penetrating a saturated niche and market. Because by the way, a lot of things, nothing I've ever really done have I ever gotten first at bat for any of it and still succeeded? Well, the skills around the passion, I think, are interesting because just being a gamer could lead you there, you know, but there's so many skills around that, that if all you're doing is playing the video games, but you're not taking advantage of learning the camera skills and the on-screen skills and the editing skills and all the things that you could be applying to a video gaming business, I think you're missing the boat because gaming like might not be like you may not be the number one gamer at something but you might be missing the boat on this next other thing or these I, all these other skills i think the difference is not understanding the concept of building a brand i think yeah. the because uh, the thing is being the number one esports newscaster is a position that someone could get to that's much more practical than being the number one gamer or being the number one Fortnite player. Because the thing is, number one Fortnite player, when Fortnite declines or has an off season or is down or it goes bad or if the company has a scandal, you're done. Like, like oh, great. Now I have to become great at another video game and I have to hope people remember me or I have to hope people go over. But if you become the esports caster or you build an esports news network, with you and a multiple cast and characters and everything like that. And people can have their favorite ca newscaster, their favorite game that they're following and you build. And like, that's a legacy, that's a legacy brand that you're building in a market that's still early to where yeah. you can pioneer, you could pioneer that you can, you don't have to be early or the best in the game. You could be the best news coverage of the game or the genre. And that's just an example. And I bring that up just because so many people try to get into gaming because it seems easy, obvious, and there's this huge market for it because it's created the biggest YouTubers. But people don't realize what is obvious, 
then requires more creativity to penetrate. Yeah. And well, I guess what to me that makes me think of is there's, you didn't just write a book saying, create something awesome on YouTube. Like marketing is the same way. These channels are the same way. YouTube is the, is the, is the game right now, but there are other games as well happening and the skills can be applied to all of them, whether it's TikTok or YouTube or something else that happens later. The way I like to think of it is online video, live streaming, and podcasting. Now, when we say those things though, people think of specific platforms in the way, same way that when we talk about smartphones, people really think about two brands, you know, Apple and Samsung, those two Mm -hmm. brands, or they think about two ecosystems, iOS or Android, and that's fine. YouTube is like that. YouTube has mind share market dominance for online video. And I would argue that now online video equals YouTube and TikTok. I would say that live streaming equals YouTube and Twitch for most people. I would say that podcasting in people's mind, they think Apple and Spotify. And even though those are just distribution platforms and you can be distributed through podcasting all over the place. Uh, they don't even think of, okay, and when they think of those things, by the way, online video, live stream, podcasting, they don't always necessarily think of tools, the brand of the tools online. Now, live streamers do. They think of OBS, StreamYard, and Streamlabs. And I would say those are the main three when people think of live stream. When people think of podcasting, they do think about- It's like the hosting platforms or the distribution platforms. All yes. the Yeah, and then the microphones. It's like- all Yeah, I would equipment. say arguably they think more about the microphones. I think they think about the Sure brand because of Joe Rogan popularizing that. And they think of Rode. They think of Sure and they think of Rode. Yeah, or Spotify think- and Apple. I mean, but- Exactly. Yeah, but those but they aren't channels like as built for creators as YouTube is, which is, I like the word creator. And I like that it's rebranding itself because- it used to be creator and influencer were kind of connected in a way where influencer had a bad rap too, where it was mm-hmm. like, you're the entertainment person whose job is, is being, you know, like an actor or celebrity on YouTube, yes. but there's which I think segregated the rest of us where we're like, now we have YouTubers and podcasters and bloggers where really they're all creators and exactly. their businesses are very diverse. And if you think with the, I think if we can continue to rebrand this creator thing, it opens a potential for this industry being its own actual industry. I think it already is. It's already a hundred billion dollar a year, hundred billion dollar a year industry. I predict in my lifetime, it becomes a trillion dollar a year industry. I think it can get there. I think that if you really also think about uh, education-based creators, then it's already, if you include that, it would technically be about a quarter billion a year industry if you really- fold in the education component and not just the entertainment component. And I do fold in the education component because I don't think I I don't really make entertainment based content primarily. I make education based utility content primarily. So and you could argue that my utility is also a form of career development because it's skill based. It's based in the idea of skills, marketing and monetization. So you make things, you market them and you monetize them. That's really the ethos. The three M's is the ethos of like what I really think I'm helping people accomplish. So I would agree with you. I, I tell people in the book, um, you know, that, hey, this is a career if you want it to be, and if you treat it like when it's a career, if you treat it like a hobby, then it's a hobby. If you treat it like a career, it's a career. If you treat it like a business, it's a business. And I, I think that people drastically underestimate that. I love that you brought up 
the word creator and what it's become because I've always felt the word creator is more inclusive and it's also more agnostic. And I keep telling people, don't be a YouTuber, be a content creator because you should be platform agnostic. You should make content that can be reformat, redistributed, live, reference in multiple forms and formats and platforms. And you shouldn't feel beholden or loyal to a platform that's not going to be beholden or loyal to you. You're not under any obligation. If they want exclusivity, make them sign a contract and make them deliver a bag. That's well, how it is. And the I think the advantages are greater when you think agnostically, because at the end of the day, for example, I go to a lot of podcast conventions. I speak at podcast conventions. I have what I call a podcast. But for me, it's actually my creation starting point. It's my tool that ends up being everywhere that pushes to YouTube and blogs, or whatever. But I think of it like this. YouTube has amazing tools for understanding what topics are trending, like what keywords I should be using, what's popular now. It has these amazing tools for that. It's the best analytics in the game. Podcasting has garbage analytics, right? Indeed. None of that. But if I consider myself a, a content creator, not a podcaster, I can take advantage of that. Or you go to the blog side. Blogs have amazing tools that have to do with being found by search engines yes. and how things are being read and, and and also connecting to your lead magnets and your, your email list building, converting to sales, things like that, all website driven, which blogs have an advantage on. If I am just a podcaster and I'm not creating blogs from my content, I'm missing all these advantages. Oh, so much, so much so. So I, I'm a big fan of like thinking agnostically and figuring out your way to get there, Whether whatever you start with, I don't care. But getting there, I think is huge. I know people are going to be asking me, Brandon, like you, you brought Roberto on, you haven't talked about the skills, the tactics, those kinds of things. You have tons of videos on this, like all, you know, how many uh, videos? 1600, but you can still ask me whatever you'd like. I, I But we'll get to, I mean, but how many videos have you like every, like your best performing videos are the remake and the remake of how to get a thousand subscribers and the remake of I have how those, to get a <laughs> but I approach them from different angles. So there's actually new information in them. I also, more importantly, I created one of the most realistic frameworks for how to get a thousand subscribers. I created one of the most realistic frameworks called the 1% rule. And basically if you really follow YouTube and you really think about it, and I'm not including YouTube shorts or live streaming, this just traditional YouTube videos. 1% of the total number of views, especially when you're early on and smaller, but this is also true to larger creators and you can see it with your own eyes. 1% of the total lifetime channel views tends to correlate with how many subscribers you got if you make and upload regular videos and we're not talking YouTube shorts or live streams. So if you want to get 1,000 subscribers, you need to accumulate 100,000 views in YouTube. And I would say the easiest way to do that is also to focus in a specific limited like niche. And by a niche, I mean pick an audience, pick an, one audience and serve that one audience and deliver to that one audience things that they would actually care about, be invested in, and that they would not only watch, but even be willing to share. And then you can perform. Now, the thing is, that's what I would call normalized growth is the 1% rule. There are outliers like me to where I would say my uh, conversion ratio of converting views to subscribers. I have 37 million lifetime channel views. I've converted that into 570,000 subscribers over the lifetime of the channel of being consistent since 2013, so about a decade now. So what that means is I have a better than 1% conversion rate ratio. But if you are in education, I could say your ratio can go much higher than 1%, but that's normal. In entertainment, it's so personality driven that if you have a charming magnetic personality, it can go to the moon. If it's less so, uh, you could struggle to get to 1%. <laughs> well, okay. So there's this part of the book, right? Which again, you guys got to check it out. Uh, create something awesome that 
you put in the end and I, you know, I'm not trying to give it all away, but you're like, by the way, most of you are going to read it for the first 90%. But for the people that are like really taking this seriously, there's only like three things that matter. And I and if you don't mind me giving this away, I'm going no, to mention please, it. You, can. This you, is said, like the, you yeah. said it's a strategy for growing an audience, uh, a system for passive income and a strategy for networking. I especially love the last one uh, yeah. because I think as a creator, just having a platform is the system for networking, but creating that and doing it systematically. Uh, maybe you could talk and intentionally. a little and intentionally before I even knew what my business was going to be. I found a mentor that taught me how I could be leveraging podcasting to build great networks. And that's literally how we went. I met, I went to social media marketing world. I actually brought a photographer with me. I'm a nobody, right? Like I brought a photographer. First time I ever went, I didn't even have a podcast launched yet. I brought a photographer and he's following me around. Cause I'd like, I need pictures for these websites and things I'm building. And I get to meet all the speakers because they're rocking around. And I get to have conversations that lead to networks. But when I meet people like you, I get to say, love what you do. By the way, I have a show and your ideas completely resonate with what the show is about. Can we like someday collab? Yeah. And oh. that changes everything. I'm not a fanboy. I am a like a partner in crime in this content you're creator a world. Contempt you're like what I like to call a contemporary or a colleague. It's like, because I think that people refuse to put this because they think they're rebellious and like, oh, I'm an artist and I'm rebelling against the man and all this stuff. They refuse to apply the frameworks, dynamics and systems of traditional careers as if it's not meant to serve them. And it is. No, exactly. So uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about how, like how those ideas like stand out to you, what makes them important to you? Those three things, the audience growth strategies, mm -hmm. passive income and networking. Well, all right. So audience growth is about a combination of reach, reputation, relationships. And here's the great thing about content. See, I've come up with, uh, I'm also a big anime nerd uh, and I don't hide that at all. And for people, you'll understand people who are into it will understand the reference. Other people, I can break it down for the layman's. But one of my favorite anime um, references is an uh, anime called Naruto. It's about uh, ninjas who use superpowers, basically. And there's this one technique called the clone technique. And you can make physical cor corporeal copies of yourself that can... So imagine that you could literally clone yourself at will, just dilutes your stamina, mind you. And But if you have tremendous stamina, it's great. But like you can make 20 clones of yourself and you could literally make them do all of your work, study, and all of the knowledge and everything that they learn, everything but physical attributes will come to you as the original. So you could literally go do whatever. Like maybe you go to the gym because you can get the physical strength from going to the gym but your clones study all day and learn for you. You have clones that are going out into the world because they're physical and they're going out and making you money. So it's like, okay, I've got five jobs and I sent the clones to go do my jobs and show up and do my shift. I've got five clones at home studying, making me smarter. So I've got clones making me smarter. I've got clones making me money. And meanwhile, I'm in the gym getting yoked and everything like that. I've got clones going to all the networking events. I've got a clone sitting there in my DMs doing everything for, okay, so here's the thing. Content is cloning. Content is cloning. When I make content, I clone myself. Every time I make a piece of content, every time I make a video, it goes out there because it's monetized. It goes out there and it's a foot soldier in my army making me money. It is a, a video that I make is a clone of Roberto Blake going out and getting my money. A clone that I make of Roberto Blake is going out there and representing me in the world and is building new relationships and getting me more reach and building my reputation and representing me in the world. A clone 
that is out there as a piece of content is getting analytics data from me of an audience that will make me smarter. It, that data that that clone created comes back to me, the original, when it harvests that data by interacting with the user base. So content serves as clones. And so I literally have an army of thousands of pieces of content, thousands of clones that work 24 seven, 365, do not need to eat, sleep, will not call out sick, will not ask me for a raise. And my clone army on a regular basis is out into the world, building new relationships for me, scaling my reputation, allowing me to be reachable in new ways and is generating revenue for me. So the clone army is out there working constantly, whether I do or not. I had to just let that roll. Like I, that's the probably the best analogy I've ever heard to explain the content game uh, overall. And that that alone, I'm just gonna that so I'm gonna send you that clip. We're gonna fucking put it everywhere. The clone army of content creation, etc. This is fire, guys. Like yeah, I, I, have, you... I, have, I have an army of clones just got there. Oh. Like as we speak, as we speak, there are clones out there as we speak that are recommending hardware and software that generates affiliate links. Those affiliate links, if it's software as a service, it's passive income. Software as a service is true passive income. A lot of people online, they're getting a lot of views and they're being very cute telling people there's no such thing as passive income uh, while they're making passive income from YouTube doing it, while they're making passive income from their book sales, while they're making passive income from their portfolio and their real estate telling people that passive income uh, doesn't exist. It's adorable. It's adorable that would say that. Adorable that they would say that and say that you can't make money in your sleep when there are literally people, artists, authors, musicians, filmmakers, making money from the grave. Making money in sleep is child's play. I want to make money from the grave. The creator of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, five generations of his family is eating from that creation that he made while he was an employee of Montgomery Wards. And Montgomery Wards didn't really care about the concept of intellectual property. And he was able to buy back the rights for them. And the minute he did that, he went and he partnered and got the um, with a musician and made the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because he made a children's book while he was an employee. This intellectual property, personal brand, all these things. So just one IP. And then he bought, he got back the rights as an employee to that IP because they didn't understand back then. He went and got a musician, then Ruff the Red Nose Reindeer, it's a hit. Then he gets with a small animation company at the time called Rankin Bass, which if you're an 80s kid, you remember that Rankin Bass did all the things when you were a child, all the claymation stuff and Thundercats. It's like, if you're an 80s kid, you'll remember Rankin Bass Studios. And so then they produce the claymation Christmas for Ruff the Red Nose Reindeer. And then that obviously spins off all these other claymation Christmas IPs, five generations of his entire family is eaten from this one intellectual property created as an employee. So don't tell me passive income doesn't exist. Intellectual property is what's going to create passive income for you, if nothing else. And that's in books, music, films, royalties, rights to IP. And that's how it is. And you can create that now more accessibly than ever before in history, because you have the tools at your disposal. You don't need a music production studio. You need a MacBook Pro. (laughs) <laughs> you don't need 20 animators like Walter Disney. You need essentially a MacBook Pro, Toon Boom Studio if you're a kid, or not even a MacBook Pro. You can get a $500 computer that you build if you're a kid and you're poor, and you can get a $100 piece of software. You get Poser, you can get Toon Boom, you can get Anime Studio. And the thing is, with an abundance of time and the money that you can make mowing lawns or selling lattes, you could be an animator, which I could never do when I was your age. Like It's that simple now. And straightforward, rather that is that straightforward. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's simple and straightforward. There's not a mystery anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you talked about the IP and the creative part. I think that's what people think about normally. But what I think I don't want people to miss is 
back to this idea of cloning, it reminds me of the industrial revolution. Like this is that, but digitally we are replacing workers. Yes. It, the money comes back Automation. to you. You are the worker, but you do the work once. And that work keeps happening digitally over and over again. We, I mean, you see it in webinars, like your entire sales process has been converted. And into they don't a, want to call it passive income. Then they can take my term. I call it automated income because then people go, oh, I understand. Because I go, you're replacing yourself. If you don't want to think about passive income and you think that's a fake guru plug, then realize automation is probably going to take your job if you're a nine to five employee at some point in your lifetime, nine to five. Automation will take your job or someone like you's job. You're going to know someone who's been replaced by automation already. Replace yourself with automation and take ownership of that instead of waiting for it to victimize you. Use it to become a champion. Yeah, it's everything. You are your one blog is how people are finding you. You no longer have to shake hands. Your one podcast introduces you to people so that you don't have to nurture them anymore in the relationships, even though you should. The video tutorial I make means I never have to explain this process ever again. Like that was exactly. actually how I got into tutorials. It's like, oh, I don't have to teach this. I only have to teach this once and I can teach this once and a 10,000 people can like that's scaling education. If you teach in a classroom, which I've done before, I've done, been a trainer before in corporate, been a substitute art teacher before. It's okay, now if I literally just make a digital clone, this process is automated. I've outsourced it. I've replaced myself. Yeah. And everyone thinks about how they can receive that, but not how they can create that. And I think that's the switch that has to happen because in everyone's lives, there could be something that you create this digital hybrid like work situation where that's doing the work for you instead of you just receiving all this like, okay, Roberto did all the work for you, consume. Like, how do you go from consumer to creator yes. so that you can take advantage of all of the all of these perks? You know, funny thing is the tools are affordable, if not free. In oh most God. cases, the platforms are free. The platforms are not only free, they're monetizable. They're paying you to market yourself. But you just have to buy that. We called it advertising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we're like, we can create videos, we can write books, we can create courses and educate people. I mean, especially anyone in the personal branding space where you're a service-based business, there is some component of your business, whether it's the marketing, the sales, the branding, or the actual delivery of your products and services or nurturing of your customers or the relationship piece, or even the scheduling, the calendaring, all of that can be done online with a system that you built. Yes. Uh, and you just have to match it to people who've done it before. You yes. And the corporations are already doing that. So telling you that it's not real or it doesn't exist or that's like somehow like the corporations build systems all the time. The average individual now can learn with the tools available to them largely for free to learn how to incorporate systems into their own lives that scale their creative ability. And that's why I mean about the foundation of, okay, you have the ability and skill set to create. Now you have the ability to scale that creation in terms of uh, reach and you have a, a thing that monetizes it for you and you don't have to become a business genius in order to monetize this and to make money and to make a reasonable amount of money. And it's it's not um, tragically difficult if you really spend some reasonable amount of time on it. The amount of time that the average person spends on a video game or reality TV show would be sufficient enough to give them a six-figure skill set at this point. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit about the mindset here. I mean, if we people get excited and they get hyped up by this episode, I want to ground them in a little bit of reality about what it takes for them to get from A to Z or whatever, because I think that there were struggles along the way for any creator, like getting oh, started, getting confident, getting the channel built, finding a niche, all these things. What is the mindset that people need to have going into this, into this creator like mode? 
the hardest things for most people is be able to sit still and do something for 90 minutes at a time. And that's about peak productivity. And then you need to take a break, do something else and then come back to it. But like, that's actually the hardest thing for people. Uh, People remember this even from school, sitting still and doing the work for 90 minutes at a time is extraordinarily difficult for the average person. It's their first biggest barrier to entry because you'd have to be able to sit still, watch a tutorial that might be a 20 or 30 minute tutorial, and then spend the next hour executing what you learn, not going on to the next tutorial. People over consume education content, even mine, instead of taking 30 minutes to consume and then 60 minutes to apply and try to create based on what they've consumed, even if that means going back and forth and watching it. So that's like their first barrier to entry is probably a lot of that. So a lot of people do not have the 90 minutes of discipline to sit there and to work on something consistently. And then they don't have the ability to do that day in and day out every day for a year and commit to something. The thing is 10,000 hours is mastery, but a hundred hours is competency. And if you don't believe me, go look up how many hours you have to log to be able to drive a car. Look at how many hours you have to log to be able to drive a commercial truck. Look at how many flight hours you only have to log 100, 100, 150 flight hours to be a certified pilot. So the thing is, people won't even put in 100 hours to learn the main primary skill sets that say a content creator, whether you're a YouTuber, podcaster, they will not put 100 hours into each of their primary things, whether that's video editing or audio editing, uh, production, learning cameras or microphones, lighting, et cetera, the hardware side of it. They won't put 100 hours into learning uh, SEO or copywriting or social media marketing, but then they'll be surprised when they, well, I did all this work and I get results. Like you did 50 hours of work five hours of education. Like, what are you doing? Even if someone takes a course and they spend, okay, you got 10 hours of education that's compressed and I'm not knocking courses. Courses can be fine, but people don't apply them. It's like you spent 10 hours on the course material, but did you spend a hundred hours practicing the 10? And the answer is no. I'm not shocked that you don't have results or you're not more capable because you are not upholding your end of the bargain. And you're not even using the fundamental framework of traditional education K through 12, you're not even utilizing and repeating and duplicating that experience and how you deploy it in the real world. You're not even deploying the way that you do at your work at your nine to five job. You work 40 hours a week to produce a result for an employer. And then you're shocked when your four or five hours a week of effort doesn't give you a replaceable income. You know, when you work 10 hours a week at something and you don't replace your 40 hour week income with, by the way, less education around that 10 hours of work than all the education used to train you for the job that you currently have or the job you spent four years in school getting a degree for? Like, really? Really? And now it's the internet's a scam or not everyone can do it or people got lucky? That is a ridiculous excuse that ignores first principles. So the mindset here is one, I talk about in the book how much realism and I talk about like, Oh, you need the time freedom of 15 to 25 hours of productive work. It takes 15 to 25 hours a week of productive work to be able to start to accomplish something. And you'd still have to do that for one to three years to see some real results. And by real results, I mean, maybe getting monetized on YouTube, maybe through multiple revenue streams, making $1,000 to $2,000 a month, which may not replace your full-time income. But the first goal is to not, oh, I'm going to quit my job. It's like, no, you actually need to work that as long as possible. Funnel money from that 
not into hobbies and frivolous things, but into this next level career that you're building because you need to invest. You need to build your own capital. And so what the goal would be in my mind is to be able to redeploy not all this capital and, oh, I'm going to redeploy this capital into my lifestyle. No, that's a mistake. Redeploy this capital into building the asset. And the asset is building your own essentially independent media company that's going to produce intellectual property that you're going to now benefit from in perpetuity. So that's a different mindset shift as well. The mind shift from worker and employee to creative entrepreneur is a huge mindset shift. The concept of deploying time freedom toward productive execution, not just I'm doing things to do things. Those are radically different mindset shifts that a person would have to make because it also means, okay, to get the most of that 15 to 25 hours maybe it's not coming home when I'm exhausted because I said productive time. That's not after you've drained yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally at nine to five. I would argue that you come home Monday through Friday. Let's just use Monday through Friday work schedule. I would argue you come home through Monday through Friday. You spend time with your family, you re-energize, and you only spend maybe an hour and you spend that hour thinking about your content business. You maybe spend that hour reading a book to wind down and go to sleep and it's a productive book. Maybe it's my book. You know, you read a book and that's your hour that's that. And then what I would say, you still get eight hours of sleep on your weekend on Saturday and Sunday, and you still spend four to six hours of family time, but that still leaves you somewhere between eight and 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday. And you just commit to the old world idea of maybe not having any days off or only having one day off, take the Sabbath or something. But if you're going to do that, then you still commit to 10 hours on a workday and you go to a six workday a week schedule for yourself. Now, most people aren't willing to do that. And they and it's because of whatever the emotional trauma or physical stress from their day job is. But if they would do that, their life could change. Yeah. And I'll let them figure out the how they organize their day, right? They can go I to just a, used an example. Yeah. They, they can go to a productivity podcast for that. Guys, you can do this. People have done it. <laughs> what I'd like to think of though is if they switched to thinking about like, hey, Imagine four years are spent learning, like, but learning through doing as well. Like, then you're not looking for results every month that you're creating something. You're like, this is year one. It was my freshman year of Creator Inc. And I am putting in the reps. It was the worst year because it was the first year. And by year four, you're going to feel a little more confident in at least the skills of creatorness. And by the end of that, you might even have some traction. But going into it saying, you know what, I already know it's going to take four years just to be creating consistently and learn this process. You already give yourself an advantage because you're not giving yourself all the fear of every year, like every week underperforming your expectations, which are already going to be too high every week. Exactly so. The thing that I think I'd like to talk about a little bit more is this other side of the business, which is this editing thing, because I think that is such a technical skill that it alone could stop people. And I know you can outsource, but that gets expensive. So I'd like to talk about that skill a little bit and maybe some of the ways you think about making that skill easier to develop, better to to kind of get around, whatever. How do you approach that? Or what do you tell people is the best way to kind of think about that? So what I do is I start with what I call the foundation of a basic three and actually stole my framework for simplifying video editing, again, from anime and from um, Naruto in this case, because uh, to pass the Ninja Academy, you have to demonstrate three ninja techniques, right? So I was like, okay, great. To be a video editor, you have to demonstrate that you can competently do three video editing techniques and it will allow you to make a passable video. 
So you have to learn how to cut and clip. You have to learn how to color correct, and you have to learn how to correct audio. And if you can do those three things, you have a passable video no matter what, and you have the fundamental skills to be able to make a serviceable video regardless of software, regardless of platform, because it's very simple. You need to know how to cut your video and uh, and clip it. So that means you get to know how to make A roll and B roll of like, here's my main cut. Here's me overlaying footage. That's some very basic things. Oh, I cut out my mistakes, my editor, my edits, my dead air and everything like that. So cutting, learning, basic cutting and clipping is like very simple. It's fundamental. It's like, and you would think, oh, I did that. I've, I've cut, I've cut my video and I've clipped my video and I have the, um, my overlays and the things that I want. It's like, okay, the video is done. It's like, well, no, when the video was filmed, you want to color correct for skin tone accuracy. You don't need to do fancy film color grading. You just need to be able to color correct for skin accuracy. And once you learn to do that, the video is going to look better and you can learn some basic color grading in terms of, oh, I can make it a little sharper. Oh, I can give it a little bit more contrast. It's like it's essentially the same as photo editing, but with motion. And once you learn that, it's like you're at a much better level than someone who doesn't know how to do that. So if all someone does is live stream and I'm not diminishing live stream, but they don't know how to cut and clip, you're useful and you can make money because you're like, hey, I will cut and clip your live stream and I will have daily uploads that you can put up to YouTube that are gonna be cut and clipped. And I'm gonna uh, like make sure you're, you know, you already had like, I'm gonna make sure your color is a little bit better or whatever. And I'm gonna make sure the audio is a little bit crisper. And oh, all of a sudden that person's like, yeah, and you can charge $1,500 a month to do the highlights for someone to be able to post daily videos to another channel that they're monetizing of their live stream or their podcast. If you can correct audio and you don't have to be a perfect audio engineer, but you can make audio better, you can charge for that per video and you can get so good that you can make it a one button preset in multiple software. You could sell your audio presets for audio correction, but you could also voluntarily do that for other people's videos and you could charge them and say, hey, 20 bucks a video. They don't know that you've literally made yourself five different presets or that you've used samples of everybody's microphones to make perfect presets for every microphone. Hey, hey, tell me what microphone you're using. Okay, great. I'm going to correct your audio. And you could be charging people 20 bucks a pop for a process that you reduced to pushing the button to correct and the button to export. And you could just uh, fix everybody's audio for them, for their podcast or YouTube channels, 20 bucks a pop for a system that you automated that is now a push button system. And you could be sitting there and you could be making a fortune just from that skill. So if you have these three skills, not only can you make your own content, you can monetize this as a creative services business very effectively. You could find ways to scale it. Color correction, color presets, you can make those into presets. You can make that a push button process too. You can do that for your own editing and everything. The thing that you can't fully make a push button process is the cutting and clipping, but you can use things like Descript and you can get pretty close because it can cut all your dead air. So I'm so happy you the- mentioned that. The uh, I'm so happy you mentioned that because I want to get selfish for this last kind of piece of, the, of our talk today because I think we've gotten a lot out of it. For people, I work with a lot of podcasters and I always tell them like for them, Descript is a great starting point because it turns their speaking into words. And instead of having to listen and try to edit while listening, they can literally just read it, pull out all those ums and ahs. And I have, get- an, I have an edit. I have a, I have a trick for that in Adobe Premiere too, as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I, what I wanted to ask you is if, so if someone's starting there where they are, you know, like you're cutting it down to what's interesting, like I can turn a 30 minute conversation into a great eight minute video uh, for YouTube. And I say great as in like the raw pieces are there, 
But I'd like to figure out like, what do I have to add to that raw piece that's still just footage that's cut down to the right footage? but I still need to make it like more interesting for the viewers. Is it just the right B-roll and and zooming in and out and clipping? Like what are the couple things so you think about So now we go that? from basic three. Now we go from basic three to the intermediate three. Okay. And this is layers because now this is, because it's very similar to graphic design because now this is layers. So now we've made a basic video that is uh, color corrected. The audio is crisp and clear and corrected audio. And we've cut down the footage and we have what we need and we have the B-roll. But now motion graphics and animation. So that's whether it's motion text, whether it's not just ORB oh, roll, but also doing a motion graphic RB roll to where maybe there's B roll plus text or B roll plus filter or B roll plus effect or the B roll zooms in some way or has interactivity going on in it, motion design. So we do, um, you know, motion graphics and motion design is one intermediate technique that we add to this. Now we also get into sound design. Sound design is us coming in and adding background music, but also sound effects. So if something zooms, there's a sound or if something pops up a screen, there's a. And so, you know, and by the way, I can do my own Foley. That's great. But so <laughs> the uh, man of many talents. So you have, okay. So now we have the fact that, oh, we've jazzed this up with uh, motion graphics. We've jazzed this up with sound design. So we have motion design and sound design added to this and everything like that. And then the other thing we can do now is we can add visual um, effects. So visual effects could be something as simple as knowing how to do a blurry face effect, knowing how to put Gaussian blur in the right place, knowing how to do masking uh, effects so that I can literally start the beginning of the video with my footage being inside of a television stream that's zooming in. And that could literally be a stock photo of a television screen. But if I know the right effects, I can make that whole thing work. And it's actually very simple. That's why I call it intermediate instead of because that sounds advanced, but it's actually intermediate. It's actually an intermediate skill. So visual effects can be intermediate. Motion graphics can be intermediate. And by the way, most of these things can be templates. And then sound, you get copyright free music from like Epidemic Sound, who's a sponsor of mine. You can get the sound effects from there. And then you can do sound design. And then you're just taking your motion graphics and knowing when words come up, it's like, you know, it has the or the or whatever it needs to be. And you do that. You talk about money, cash register sign. So that's good your design. You say a dollar amount, you throw that dollar amount on the screen. You say a percentage, you put that a percentage amount on the screen. Show and tell. That's the verbal things that make something much more interesting. And it's an extra layer of work. And I would say on a 10 to 12 minute video that these extra layers add one to two hours each until you get refined at them or until you build a template system where you've standardized these things to where you don't have to be creative about them. You've created these essentially stock assets of, oh, I've created the animation already or have a template that generates these things. Oh, I've created the animation for all the percentages that I normally use. Oh, here it is. I've already animated the graph. I And now I use that graph all the time because I reference that statistic all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I've made the you know, the color grain presets. Oh, I picked the 12 songs for this quarter that are my soundtrack for Q1, Q2, Q3, like, oh, new soundtrack every like to use for my music. Oh, I have the 60 stock sound effects that I, I use for my style of content, whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? So those are the intermediary um, techniques. And then above intermediary techniques, 
you pick three signature techniques, meaning three things that you personally, you can pick any special effects that you want that then become your signature that you layer on top of your basic three and your intermediate three. You So that would be like, a, like if somebody had like, again, using the ninja analogy, it's like, oh, your family's specialty. So you pick three of those. So then you only literally need to know nine editing fundamentals, nine editing techniques, not a hundred. You like, you don't need a hundred and you master these nine and you refine them and you're done. And perpetuity, there's no reason to do anything but get fast now. And now because you're fast, the effort value ratio just keeps getting better and better. And then when you want outsource, you only have, someone only has to, most of the people you outsource to, they already know the basic three. They just have to see what your judgment calls on the basic three are. You can show them your variations of the intermediate three and then your custom three. And once they know that and you literally make it a handbook and you do a screen recording and they see like every type of video that you would make, how these things are applied, they can duplicate that. Your team or whoever you outsource to can duplicate that. And now it's just a system. It's just a standard. And the thing is, the creativity now is writing, scripting, production, performance. I love it. Would you say that those are table stakes now to the, these days, or is that like a year two, like start worrying about the that like level two editing type stuff? I would say that the sooner you can get the from um, basic three and graduate to intermediate, the sooner you do that, the better. And I would try to do that within a year if possible. If uh, Because the thing is, I don't think it takes a year to get a really good grasp of the basic three. I think that takes months at best. I think that takes months at best. Now, getting fast at it is very you know, challenging. But the thing is, to make a good video these days, you need to do the basic three and the intermediate three to make a competitive video in almost any niche, especially if you're an entertainer. And the thing is, I would say that you could spend the next two to three years refining your own custom three things or discovering your custom three things or changing your custom three things. You could do that over the course of years into infinity. But I would say you have to get the three basic and three intermediate techniques. I think you need to do that in year one and certainly by year two to be competitive. I appreciate that because I think it's it's one of the things that I think keeps podcasters and even bloggers from becoming full-blown creators is the unwillingness to take that next step. And then they eventually give up a lot of them. I mean, a lot of podcasters eventually end up giving up uh, because they're not getting the traction. So. Uh, I appreciate that that context, man. And all of this, honestly, besides the book itself, which is create something awesome, how creators are profiting from their passion in the creator economy, which came out in August of 2022, this this year, pick that up. But you can also go to awesomecreatoracademy.com to actually learn some of these skills with help, deliberate help, step-by-step along the way. And anything else you are excited about, you want to tell people about while we have you here today? Well, I'm writing a follow-up book to this. I don't know when it'll release, but I've already started. I'm 10,000 words in, uh, for, you know, um, I started earlier this quarter. I think I started in um, October and I'm 10,000 words into the follow-up book, uh, which is going to focus on uh, the creator economy, the secrets of full-time content creators revealed. It's going to be even more of a pullback of the curtain, not for somebody as much who's starting, but for like, okay, what is a full-time content creator? Because to your point, Back in the day, it was very difficult to explain to people what a full-time graphic designer does, what a full-time web designer does. And I think that problem exists and persists today. So people don't understand, well, what does it take to be a full-time content creator? Where are the habits that that looks like? What are the monetization streams? There's seven primary monetization streams, income streams for full-time content creators. And then what 
would you know really represent like seven traits that it takes to maintain being because habits and traits are different things but it's like what are the seven traits you need to be able to maintain a full-time content career with examples and the thing is this next book has a lot of examples so you could think of it as these case studies but also very practical information because i don't think i think people look at something they don't understand it and then they either roll their eyes at and say oh it's beyond me it's above me or they think it's a scam but the thing is ironically people don't have a really good grasp of how electricity works, their phone works, their satellites work, their their cable television, their internet, their computers. They don't know how any of those things work. They just accept it. I think we'll get to a place with that with um, content creation as a career. But I think that what helps us get there is if there's actually good source material, there's like any career you get, there's 152,000 books on any other career that you choose in life. You can choose any career in life except content creator, there's not a hundred plus substantive books on being a content creator, but even if there is, it's all how-to books and it's all how to be a YouTuber, how to be a podcaster, how to be a streamer, how to be an entertainer, how to do this, how to do that. And they also become very dated. There's not really the career thesis of what this is, how one pursues it, what the business side of it looks like, what the process of forming your networking relationships are, what the pitfalls of that are, how to monetize properly and not make it. And to, again, that perspective being platform agnostic, how to do as a podcaster, as an online video personality, regardless of platform, as a live streamer, you know, how these things work in a way that won't be dated and in a way that talks about the first principles and then also considers your reasonable expectations, and then what would be second and third order consequences to certain actions. And so that's what I'm trying to do in the book, Create Something Awesome, the follow-up book that I'm writing. I'm also doing um, more blogging now over on LinkedIn. I'm trying to, and so those are things I'm excited about. I'm very excited about the ability to be early to the education and business development side and career development side of the creator economy. And I feel like this is going to be valuable and important for years to come. I, I couldn't agree more, man. I love that. I'm actually, you got my wheels turning. So I appreciate that. Uh, anyone else who, if you haven't heard Roberto speak on stage, by the way, it's it's uh, something to to witness. So uh, if anyone's looking to have a speaker, go to robertoblake.com. You can check out his stuff there too for that. Appreciate you, man. Uh, I'm going to be listening back to myself to this to take more notes. So just thanks for coming on and sharing your your perspective with us today. Absolutely. Anytime, man. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I appreciate you for listening, for giving us your time, and we will catch you next time. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands, but we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to brandsonbrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandsonbrands.com.